Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication, and tickets are on sale now. The first early bird discount will be available until August 22nd. For more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, and welcome to Voices. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and today I'm excited to welcome Amanda Gunville to the show. Amanda's been described as a serial entrepreneur, which I love that term, with experience ranging from pro sports to the beverage industry to technology and well beyond that. Her focus nowadays is on operations and marketing strategy, and she is currently the COO and the CMO of Wanderin Ivy. It's a disruptor wine brand, which we'll get to that in a little minute, specializing in elevated single-serve wines from award-winning family-owned vineyards from around the world. And Wander and Ivy Wines were chosen for the second year in a row to be featured at the PGA Championship in Oklahoma this year. So I'm really excited to have Amanda. There's so much to talk about today. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a huge pleasure. Um, I'm just going to give our listeners a little bit of background. I know Wander and Ivy was started by Dana Spaulding in 2017, and you came on board in 2020. Tell us a bit about the company's mission. Um, what gave Dana the idea for single-serve wine? Uh, you know, we hear a lot about canned wine and boxed wine and things, but what Wander and Ivy's doing is a little bit different, so I want to go there as well. What are you doing there at the company, and, and what's your day-to-day role there, Amanda? Well, those are that's a lot of questions, so I'll start with from the beginning. I packed them in. You did. I love it. Um, so, yes, it, it, the company was started in 2017, and I love, love, love the story. Dana, um, our founder and C- CEO, uh, had a previous career with J.P. Morgan in private wealth management, specifically actually been focusing on the food and beverage space. And she came home, it was a Tuesday, and she'd had a particularly great day at work. And she was about to pour herself a glass of wine. And of course, to do that, she was going to open up a full bottle. And her husband looked at her and said, are you seriously going to waste another bottle of wine, knowing that she was only going to have maybe a glass, glass and a half, and likely, you know, the rest of the bottle or the majority of the bottle would go down the drain in a couple days later. And she looked at him a little perturbed and said, yes, I am. I deserve it. But it, it sparked an idea in her to say, you know what, I will go shop in, you know, for a smaller format, single serve wine. And what she really found was low quality wine in low quality packaging, you know, as you mentioned, the bags, the boxes, and back then, not not even cans were invented yet. And so, you know, she tried a few, but, but really, you know, just didn't find anything that felt like a treat after that great day of work, right? And so she started exploring, is there an opportunity to 
um, create a luxury experience in a smaller format. And that's when Wander and Ivy was born. And in addition to that, she also noticed that there was almost no focus on clean, you know, kind of that organic ingredients within the wine space. We pay attention to what we put into our bodies in terms of food, but nobody had really paid attention to what's actually in the bottle. And, and a lot of the mass wine producers add a ton of sugar, um, even artificial flavors to kind of get that consistent flavor year to year. And so those were some of the things that she was excited to explore and uh, birthed Wander and Ivy. Like I said, she started in 2017, but the product was uh, available uh, about a year later in 2018. Wow, that's super fast. What a, what a great drive from inception of idea through to product on the market. Isn't that the truth? And it is a challenge. The the wine business is, as you probably are well aware, is extraordinarily difficult and expensive, and um, it's, it's pretty impressive what she was able to do. Let's let's just hit on the packaging for a second before we walk away from this, because it is so interesting. Um, anyone who hasn't seen Wander and Ivy should definitely take a look at their website. Tell me why she went with the packaging that she did. Let's talk about what it is. I won't give away the secret. You go for it. Um, and and why she chose to go that direction. Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, one of the things that obviously any creator of a product wants to do is to create differentiation on a shelf, right? I mean, you have a million choices when you're at the grocery store or a liquor store in this case, um, but how do you how do you stand out? And as we had talked about creating that elegant experience with with the wine. And so she created um, this glass bottle, which in, in, in the hand, it is heavy and just feels like a luxury. It's a cylinder shape. Um, and it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. She and the graphics team, um, did a wonderful job in designing the, the labeling. Um, but the, the thing that's really exciting is that she submitted, the bottle uh, to, to get the patent and she was awarded that. So nobody else can have the exact same packaging as, as we do. And it's sort of the size of a can. I mean, how, what's the size of the serving? Um, it's 6.3 ounces or a 187 milliliter, which is a fourth of a bottle of wine. So it's a it's a it's a pretty hefty glass of wine. Um, I think when you're at a restaurant and get a, a pour, a lot of times they say there's five glasses to a bottle. So Ours is a fourth of a bottle, so it's it's a nice glass. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. I want to talk about this sort of disruptor idea. I mean, I, I love that word. It's so active as a descriptor word. Wander and Ivy's been called a disruptor wine brand. Tell tell me what that means to you and to the company. Is this a plus or a minus? How do you view this term? It's so funny. Literally, my mom asked me the same question. Uh, two days ago, she said, what does it mean to be a disruptor brand? Um, and I look at it is that we are, you know, we're used to doing the same things over and over and over again, whether it's a certain car, a certain, a way of life, right? And when a new brand comes in and challenges the way that you do things day in and day out, that's a disruption. I, I think a perfect example of that is Uber, um, with you know the car service, they completely disrupted the transportation industry. You know, in terms of taxis and um, in terms of Wander and Ivy, 
uh, obviously people were just used to sort of the big conglomerates having, um, you know, whether it's a box of wine or uh, those little plastic bottles of wine, that was just, that's what you get if you want a, a single serve wine or wine for cooking for that matter. So we came in and sort of uh, disrupted that thought that you can have premium luxury experience in the smaller format. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, it's, I, I love where the market is going with this. And I'm sort of obsessed because in Italy, we don't have a lot of this. Um, there's still a very, uh, you know, old school, old white men view of wine in big, heavy, dark glass bottles. And there's not a lot of single serve for sure, unless you want a little, you know, very inexpensive, um, take on the train, little split of Prosecco. <laughs> so I'm fascinated by what's happening um, in other markets with, with this sort of single serve idea. But this is definitely a step up from, as we were saying, you know, a, a, a box or a can. I've seen many elegant cans. I think boxes are getting better, but to have a glass bottle is really different. So where is your market? Where are you selling? Are you selling into restaurants or into grocery stores, into liquor stores? How's it work? Um, our business is, is split pretty much 50-50 in, in the sense that we, um, we have a direct-to-consumer where you can go on our website and we ship to um, a little over 40 states. It, pretty much any state that's legal to sh ship to, we uh, have our license to do that. And then we also have our wholesale business, which is exactly what you were just asking about. So we are in you know 600 Kroger stores across uh, the United States. We're in 12 different states in the United States and we're and and growing. Um, but we're in you know Walmart, Whole Foods. In the, if you're not familiar with the Kroger, Kroger is a conglomerate of, of uh, grocery stores. I am because that was my grandmother's grocery store when I was a little girl. <laughs> yep, of course. And you're Ohio, you're from Ohio, so you know that's where they're based. So exactly, yeah. And then definitely, you know, where we also have a ton of successes in the hotel business. So. This is perfect for room service. It's perfect for the sort of the grab and go spot, right? As you're checking in in the hotel, and and that actually we do a really really strong business in hotels for sure. I never thought of that as as a market for a single serve wine, but you're absolutely right. The number of times I arrive at a hotel at some odd hour and the bar is closed or room service is closed, and just really want one glass of wine or any wine you can't get any at whatever weird time it is yeah that's a really interesting market i had never thought of that what a what a great um target to go for it's clearly working for you because <laughs> you know the, the the overall u.s wine market the numbers that we're getting nowadays say that it it fell 0.5 percent in 2021 according to impact data bank but Wander and Ivy sales went up 350% production growth over the year in 2021. How on earth did you manage that? Yeah, that, that's kind. So um, so we produced 350%. Our sales growth was about 230%. And, you know, I just think it, it is because we're so different and, and, you know, it's just a market that nobody had had tapped into yet. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of folks who are waiting to get married, you know, or their partner has a different palate and, you know, wants that glass of whiskey or beer instead of wine. And this is honestly just an answer to something that maybe a problem they didn't even realize they had. But once they, you know, once they saw the solution, they were they were excited about it. And 
our favorite thing, honestly, this is truly our favorite thing. People don't expect the wine to be that good because the, in, historically, single serve wines just have not been good. This is true. This is, I think this is something you have to fight against. I know my husband doesn't drink. So I am, you know, I'm very on board with a single serving sort of a thing because I am usually drinking by myself. But yes, I'm always leery of, is this going to be good quality? Would I rather just open a bottle of something I want? So we'll, we'll get to where you source your wines in a bit because that I think is fascinating too. Yeah. Well, it is, it is literally our favorite thing. We, you know, we do obviously virtual meetings with, whether it's a distributor or a retail partner, and we love doing live tastings, and the faces are just phenomenal. Um, or if they haven't ever had it and then in they tried it, and now we're having a follow up meeting, it's the same reaction every single time. Oh wow, this is really good. <laughs> and Dana and I get so excited about it because uh, we take great pride in our choices. <laughs> so, well, so who do you see as your competitors in the sector? I mean, are you trying to take a swing at traditional, you know, normal size bottles of wine, or are you aiming, you know, are you sort of fighting back against the modern boxed and canned wines, or or both? I mean, where is where are your customers in general? Aside from people like me whose partner don't drink or things like that, where are your main customer bases coming from? I mean, we're excited to say that we're the number one uh, premium and organic single serve wine brand, which is true. You know, I suppose if you if you had to, you know, put a name out there in terms of, you know, our competitors, Unusual Wines is a is doing something a little different. But, you know, what's so cool about the wine industry is that it's such a collaborative space. I I just find it so differently. Whereas like you look at some, you know, companies say like iPhone versus Samsung, Android. I mean, you're only going to buy one phone, 99% of people. And so that is a true competition. But just think about when you go to the wine store, you probably buy 10 different bottles from all different producers. And so we don't really look at the wine industry as like, if you buy mine, you're not going to buy theirs. Or if you buy theirs, you're not going to buy mine. Really, people will probably buy both of our, you know, ours, and we're proud of that. And it is, it is a really cool industry to be a part of in that regard. That's such a good point. That is a very good point. Um, I think, you know, as you say, people do, and and probably even a bit more so in the past, stick to one thing, one brand of car, one brand of phone, that kind of a thing. But it's not really like that with wine. That's that's a very very interesting point. Um, let's talk about the line of wines that you have because you don't just have one you you have a line um and i know that you source your wines from family based and as you said organic wineries which i think is a big selling point especially with younger generations and people who are new to wine um how do you select the wineries that you partner with yeah it's a great question so we're really, really proud of the fact that we um, have found family-owned vineyard partners on our own. So we don't use brokers, which I think 95 plus percent of folks who source grapes and juice from other um, countries use brokers. Um, it's definitely the faster, easier way to go. But we have genuine relationships with with our family vine- owned vineyards, and how many how many vineyards have you partnered with? How many wines have you got? 
let's see. Well, we currently have, I mean, we, we've produced seven different varietals over time. We currently have five that are active in our portfolio and let's see, four or five of them are from different countries around the world. So, so how do you find them without a broker? Who's, is somebody, and, and I would like this job, is somebody sent out dispatched to hunt down a good winery? This thing called Google. <laughs> oh, the romance is gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do, you do, you start there and you just start exploring and reaching out. And, and our process is that we, you know, we'll reach out, find out, you know, do they sell wine in bulk in general? And, uh, and then we have them send us samples. I can tell you, I have, I, I mean, sampled dozens and dozens and dozens of wine and we you know we're very picky so of that maybe we select you know two to five percent of what we actually try so it's a lot of it's a lot of trial and error (laughs) and then well it's it's so interesting i mean this sort of process step by step so you you find wineries you're interested in they send you some samples and you make a choice and then what happens you said they they ship in bulk so what happens? The wine comes to you from wherever they are. Yeah, exactly. So um, what we typically do is, you know, we will place a purchase order and you kind of have to give a down payment, which is pretty hefty (laughs) to secure that. And it depends. Sometimes, you know, the wine is ready and sometimes it's not quite ready. And so, you know, or we might not be ready for, you know, to bottle it. So we'll maybe we'll ship it right away but uh, sometimes we'll wait until the optimal time and then we you know we utilize the number one international wine transportation company and they'll put them in you know giant giant tanks essentially and ship them by water and then we receive them at our um usually the Oakland port but it goes and then it goes to our uh production partner in Napa California that's where we ultimately bottle our wines and um and then and then they go into the warehouses in in Napa. Um we have two different ones, one for wholesale, one for our direct to consumer business and then ultimately we we get them onto shelves or into people's hands. Italian Wine Podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods. But it's, it's fascinating. I, I, I know that it sounds sort of like simple logistics, but I'm sure there are many people who haven't really thought through how does this actually happen. So um, I, I want to talk more about the company too. I, I know that Wander and Ivy is a certified woman and disability owned business. What does that mean? I mean, that that doesn't really happen outside of the U.S. What does that mean to be certified this way? How does it impact your business? And what's the driving philosophy that went behind getting this kind of a very particular certification? It is a very arduous process, I will say, um, but there are a couple different and en- you know entities out there that will certify. And to be certified, women-owned, certified disability-owned, fifty-one uh, percent of the company has to be owned, you know, by a woman or by someone who has a disability. Uh, Dana has both, and she uh, so so. It is. It's interesting. They come. They come to wherever you work. They. I mean, they audit the company. Uh, to great length, because unfortunately, um, 
people who are in industries that say get government contracts or um, in a, things, state contracts, they will oftentimes have mandates that, you know, you have to use a certain number of minority owned businesses. And so some people will, you know, put someone's name on it that, you know, isn't really running the business. They're the ones who are really running the business. So they've gotten really good, which I appreciate at auditing companies to make sure that yes, Dana is, you know, the one who is actually running the business and owns it 51%, uh, over 51%. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor to be a female owned company, in my opinion. It's so rare. Um, and Dana has a condition called syndactyly, which is a, d- a deformation of her hands. Um, and that's what qualifies for the disability owned. It's, it's just fascinating. As I said, this sort of um, certification on these sorts of points of, um, you know, who's running the business and, and what gender they are and, and what other challenges they're facing doesn't really happen outside of the States. And I, I think it's so important to make a point of that. It's it's quite clear, you know, in all of your information and, and all of your blurbs and things that this is something that's really meaningful to your company. How How is the, um, you know, sort of in your company, the employees, what's the ratio of men to women? Do you know? <laughs> we are we are a strong group of females. Um, we have uh, we have currently uh, one employee who's a man, <laughs> and the rest of them are are females. We have one our winemaker is a male, um, and he's a he's a contractor, not an employee. But you know we've just been really fortunate. I will say that when we we're currently hiring three different positions right now, and we didn't we certainly didn't say like. Oh, we want it to be female, male, you know, this ethnicity, that ethnicity. We just said, let's find the best candidate. And we have just been really fortunate. We have found some incredible females to join our team. And it's, it's just been fun. My, his, my history with companies, I've pretty much only worked with males. And this is a unique experience that I just absolutely treasure. I'm so excited by that. It's it's great to know that that this is really, you know, not something that was just kind of a token movement. We'll hire some women. I I, I love that this is really making some waves, and and it is exciting, as you said. It sounds it sounds attractive. It sounds appealing to work in a company filled with smart, driven women. Um, I hope that you are inspiring a lot of other people out there. You know, we we all know that. This is a huge problem in the wine sector globally. You know, misogyny is something that we all are working to correct in the wine sector. In the U.S. in particular, you know, less than 3% of funding goes to women-led businesses. I shudder to think what the percentage is in Italy. You know, even though we know from from hard factual data that people who invest in women-run businesses typically see double the return on their investment compared to companies led by men. You know, they, there's this old belief that female-led companies don't make it to raising, you know, large amounts of money. But Wander and Ivy has raised multiple rounds of million-dollar funding. How are you achieving this? Um, it's incredibly challenging. The the arena winery is competitive. The wine sector is not easy globally and logistically after COVID. You know, there have been all kinds of problems. How are you achieving this huge financial success? Well, I, I love this. This is probably my favorite topic to talk about. And I appreciate your knowledge around it because 
honestly, going going into it, I did not realize. And so the, the way that I actually came upon Wander and Ivy was in 2019. I was a part of um, a group of ladies, uh, six of us, who were passionate about supporting female-owned businesses. Because of those statistics, 2.3% of funding goes to female-owned companies. And even the ones that get them, they tip, on average get about $800,000 as opposed to a male who on average raises 1.2. Despite the fact that you just, as you just said, you know, the success is there. So I was a part of this group. I love this story. It's my favorite. So bear with me. We had a pitch day and uh, it was in fall of 2019. And we saw eight companies that day and in walks Dana in high heels on a, on a day that it was blizzarding in Denver, by the way, and all of a sudden, I look at her and I said, this woman is pregnant. Oh, she's really pregnant. And uh, she was eight or nine months pregnant in heels in a blizzard and walks in and just knocks the pitch out of the park. It was just a 20-minute pitch. We all fell in love with her. So we did a deep dive diligence with her. And here's why I think that Dana has been so successful. We spent a whole day with her and she is absolutely incredible. And she's this very unique individual where she's incredibly intelligent, so, so, so thoughtful, kind. Um, and just, I mean, to the point where, and I, I, maybe other companies do this and all of my experience, and I've done diligence on thousands of companies. I've never seen this, you know, we said, well, what happens if something happens to you? What, you know, who's going to run the company? That's always a question in your due diligence. And she said, oh, I took out a life insurance policy on myself so that if something happens to me, all of my investors will be paid back hundred percent. Like who thinks of that? And so she, her risk mitigation is just second to none. So fast forward, um, myself and two other in our group decided that we would all invest independently um, into into Wander and Ivy, and it was right at, at as COVID you know was starting, um, and I just we we all just wanted to help different companies in whatever way we could in this challenging time. We didn't want to see female owned companies you know go out of business, and so I offered to just help Dana. Um, you know, I used to own and run a beverage company and I had my level two sommelier certification just for fun. And we started working together and had so much fun in such a short period of time that um, we decided to make it official that I would formally join the company. And then since then, we have raised two additional rounds of funding and I can take zero credit. Dana is just, she does pretty much all of the fundraising she does. And then I, you know, I'll come in obviously as, you know, s- support. And I think, you know, a lot of it is our growth. People are support- supportive of that. And again, just all of the sort of the things that we've put in place to kind of secure our success. Well, numbers don't lie. Yeah. Numbers don't lie. I think that's uh you can have the best packaging and the prettiest face and all of those things, but numbers don't lie. So that's that. It's such a good. It's it's such a good tale of you know believing in what you're doing and making it fun and you know bringing in a bunch of as I said talented women. I mean, Wander and Ivy's also paying it back, and this is something I really love about your company. You donate one percent of your sales to charitable organizations who are feeding people um, who can't feed themselves. So 
I'm just wondering what the inspiration for this charitable endeavor was. I, I'm sure I can guess, but it's nice to see a corporation that's so successful paying it back. What what inspired you guys to do that? You know, it just it truly does just speak to the heart of who we are. Obviously, who Dana was because she's the one who started it, and she was donating before I, you know I I joined. And it's important to note that we commit that um, regardless of profit. So if we lose $10 million, we're still going to give a percentage of our uh, sales. So it's so important for us to give back, you know, in, and again, it just speaks to the heart of, of who we are and who Dana is. I like the holistic idea of it too. Um, I, I really, I think this is something it's as a business model, it is respectable and, and sustainable and I think really appeals to, you know, a corporation that's not just out to make money, but that's out to do some good in the world. There's not that much of that going on right now. So it's good to see that. There's another really interesting thing that you're doing called Wisdom Wednesday. And I really want to hear more about this. I know my my listeners will want to hear too. Tell me what's going on with Wisdom Wednesday. Yeah, so that is something that I thought about when we first, you know, when I first joined the company, just trying to you know, just think of different marketing ideas that that we could do with little to no money. <laughs> and so we, um, we, I said, well, what if we, you know, did a, a weekly segment that we post on our social media channels, and we just try to be try to sort of educate, um, you know, people who are who love wine, but maybe don't know anything and, and let's be relatable. You know, let's not come at it. There's a, there are plenty of resources out there, but honestly, they're they're so sophisticated that I don't know that the average viewer or reader fully, you know, embraces what they're talking about. So we said, let's be relatable. They can be really off-putting too. They can they can really make people feel excluded. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's kind of a little bit of a snobby, you know, feel to it. And so we said, let's go in and and hey, what when we push record on the camera. Let's never push stop. If we mess up, let's just own it, laugh it off and keep going because we're, you know, we're not masters. We're just, we're just trying to help, um, you know, let everybody know the fun facts and tips and easier ways to order wine and what to look for and just, just give some fun information. And so we, you know, we film those probably like you do with your podcast, you, you film you know, eight or so episodes at a time, and, and then we release them over the next month or two. I think it's great. I love it. Again, it's another way of outreaching into you know, a community of people who, who might buy your product and might not, but you're still giving them extra content and, and, you know, things that they can take away with them, things that they learn that might inspire them to get interested in wine and and not feel shoved out the door. I I like that outreach aspect of it. It's almost as good as the charitable donations, very similar in a way. Well, before I let you go, I've got to ask you two questions. First of all, what's your favorite Italian wine? And secondly, where would you like to see the Wander and Ivy portfolio grow? What kinds of wines would you like to bring in in the next couple of years? Ooh, such a great question. So, my favorite, I mean, I'm, you know, Chianti, Sangiovese. I, I love, I love that grape. I mean, there's some, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, what am I eating? Right. So everybody knows if you watch our Wine Wisdom Wednesdays, I'm the one who comes in with, with food and wine pairings. Um, so 
you know, there's a grape Barolo, depending on what I'm eating. Um, but I also, I mean, come on, who doesn't love to open up a Prosecco and cheers to something great in life? So I'd say both of those are our favorites on my list for sure. And where do we want to see us grow in terms of varietals? Well, we are constantly doing R&D. Our, our bottle is, is very challenging in terms of, um, you know, bottling. And so we have, we definitely have some R&D going on for some exciting, hopefully new innovations in our space um, in term, and that includes varietals. Um, and I also, you know, we get a lot of requests for a Pinot Noir. So that's something that we look at. I've tasted an abundance of Malbec. I just haven't found one that I, um, that we love and want to bottle. Um, but those two are probably the highest on the list. And additionally, um, a semi-sweet people always say, do you have any sweet wine? And I will never probably, I don't want to say never say never, but we will probably never bottle a, like a Moscato as sweet as that, but maybe a lovely Riesling. We'll see. I, it's, it's all about finding the right partners. Exciting. Exciting. Well, I'm going to point you straight at Sicily and, and take a look at some of the things that are going on down there. Yeah. We've got Norello Mascalese on Etna is is doing very similar things to, to Pinot Noir, as well as a lot of other interesting native grapes in Sicily. I'm going to point you straight there. <laughs> take, take a look. Take a look. I, I love it. This is how we find our wines. We, you know, it's just word of mouth. And the next thing you know, you have something beautiful in a bottle. Exactly. Uh, well, Amanda, I'm really grateful that you came on today. I'm, it's so encouraging and inspiring to hear about a, a female-led company that's being super successful and doing something that's so new and, and modern and you know has the potential to go places that old and traditional wines couldn't go and, and engage a whole new audience of, of young people or people new to wine. Um, I wish you all the most success and I'm really glad you came on today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, the first early bird discount on tickets will be available until August 22nd. For more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.